Welcome to the APM podcast. APM is the chartered body for the project profession. My name is Emma DeVita and I'm the editor of Project, APM's quarterly journal and your host. Today I'm speaking to Marcos Fuentes, recipient of APM's 2022 Festival of Education and Research Award for Doctorate of the Year. Awarded by University College London, the title of his thesis was The Co-Creation and Co-Destruction of Value in Projects. Its focus was on how to create value for the long term, from the project planning stage and then throughout the development cycle of a project. His thesis originally established eight ways to achieve wider sustainable value, such as social, environmental, experiential and emotional elements beyond traditional short-term criteria, such as time and cost. Marcos originally hails from Mexico and spent a decade in the US and in Europe, including six years in London, but recently returned to Mexico to work for its National Audit Office, where he's a strategic advisor. He's also an honorary researcher at University College London at the Bartlett School of Sustainable Construction, with a focus on the exploration of mega projects in the Latin American market, of which he has much first-hand knowledge. In this podcast, Marcus will first share his practical advice for project professionals based on his award-winning PhD findings, and second, share his expertise from the world of challenging mega-projects in Latin America. Welcome, Marcos. Thank you for your time and congratulations on your win. It's, it's nice to have you here. Your PhD thesis... Um, tackles the question of the co-creation and co-destruction of value in projects. Could you tell us a bit about what this means, please? I think traditionally in projects, we have considered that the project is successful if they finish within time, cost and quality. And that has been kind of the old school in project management and and everyone is trying to meet these short-term criteria. So during my PhD, I was trying to focus and to look beyond uh, to what the stakeholders uh, need, in the, especially in the long term. And during my PhD, I found out uh, five different streams of what value means in the long term. Um, so the first stream is, for example, operational value. The second stream is environmental value. The third one is social value. The fourth one is financial and economical value. And the fifth one is um, emotional and experiential value. And let me give you some examples uh, around some of these and how this contradicts the traditional views on on value that we have had in project management. Uh, For example, in Mexico, uh, we have a metro system of around 195 stations uh, with more than 200 kilometers. And most of these stations and most of these um, metro line have been constructed over budget, over time, and they have not really met any of these criteria. However, in the long term, uh, this is an amazing system because um, it provides um, you know, connectivity in the city, especially in Mexico City where we have 20 million of people. And imagine you can live in the south, work in the north, and maybe visit some other people in the east. So. Uh, and there are four million passengers every day, and that is an amazing outcome and functional value that appears in the long term. Uh, and that's something is that we don't care about time and cost of this metro system, but what it provides in the long term, it is amazing. So, are you saying that it's what's fairer is to judge the projects by the beneficial legacy? Yeah, that's true because. At the moment, this time, cost and quality, they are only short-term criteria. 
and we cannot judge the legacy of the project only with this criteria. We really need to look what is happening after this. And some of these projects that they were uh, very unsuccessful in this criteria, they are extremely successful in the long term and this legacy is providing something to the society and that's what we are looking for to projects that have an impact in the long term and of course it is important to consider time and cost especially with investors who are putting their money in and of course it is important to use their, these resources efficiently but it's not the only um, general view that, that uh, or the only rule to measure uh, the success of the projects I think we need to look in the long term. And you argue in your research that project professionals should adopt and build in early on in the project life cycle some more long-term thinking uh, about the outcomes of the project, which is what we've been talking about just now. But can you tell us a bit about, about that? So how would you build in um, c the consideration of longer-term thinking into the way projects are managed now? This is very tricky, you know, because actually when I did my... Uh, the research on my PhD, I talked to more than 70 professionals in the UK. And one interesting part of talking to, to many project managers and practitioners, it was the lack of the long-term thinking. But I, I clearly remember one, uh, one conversation that I had with a project manager, and she was telling me that uh, she was using workshops. As we use workshops for risk management, uh, she was using workshops that she used to call it the future perfect project. And she was trying to envision how the project would be like in a few years time. And she was trying um, uh, to, to really link uh, the outcomes in the long term uh, with the decisions that are happening in the in, in present. One of the issues that we have is like the nature of the, of the human being is not to think in the long term because we are thinking about what will happen tomorrow or what you will do on the weekend, but it's difficult to think what you will do in 2026. So imagine the same issues that we have uh, in a personal level, of course they are translated or we can see them uh, into, the, into the project level. So having these workshops where people are really looking to sensing and scanning future explorations and to develop a scenarios uh, where we can improve the value outcomes uh, could be highly appreciated uh, by the different stakeholders that are working in the project. But sometimes we don't have the time to do this, but we really need to incorporate not only a short-term process, but also you know, the, the long-term process. But one of the issues that, uh, that, that we have in this is some of the projects or some of the practices that that where we are trying to incorporate a long-term thinking are constrained, for example, by, by other institutional uh, contexts. So let, let me give you an example of this. In Mexico, uh, we construct an infrastructure program every six years. Okay, so every six years we are building a new program. What it happens is when a new government comes into place, they change radically the program. So our long-term thinking is only six years. So the, the, uh, the president that we have in Mexico, for example, he decided to cancel uh, the largest mega project in Latin America uh, just one month after uh, he entered office. Which mega project was that? Uh, this was uh, the construction of um, 
the largest airport in Mexico and also in Latin America. It was a 13 billion uh, US dollars. It was the largest mega project in Latin America. Um, for some reasons, fair reasons or unfair reasons, he decided to cancel it. So we can see how the long-term vision doesn't exist. For example, across this uh, Latin American market where we are really struggling to put some programs into place for the long term. That's something we can learn actually from the UK. In the UK, we have um, one body that is called the National Infrastructure Commission, where they are trying to set out a strategy, an agenda for 2050. And that's something we really need to incorporate to the countries that we have in Latin America. Project leaders, or those very senior in project roles on projects, do they have uh, the ability to start changing the culture, to, to, to at least start thinking about these longer term issues, do you think? Well, I have to be very honest on that one. And so, What I have seen in practice is that sometimes young generations, they are really pushing for this. They are really, uh, we are really seeing that things are not going the way we want. And we are trying to produce a change on it. But also at the moment, uh, there might be uh, some resistance of some leaders that we have uh, to change traditional ideas. And of course, we cannot change um, the use of other resources when at the moment uh, they produce more profit uh, than, uh, you know, than clean energy. So I think we, we really need to have this dialogue between these leaders and also to convince the investors and the people who are putting the money into to make a change in the world. Otherwise, uh, we might have these agendas, but we never meet the targets. And some, tar some targets, they will be met in some countries, but if they are not met in developing countries, such as Latin America, we will still have the same issues. At Association for Project Management, we know your most important project is your career. But as a project manager, it's not always easy to make Project Me happen. That's where our membership can help. We offer exclusive training, qualifications and learning resources to keep your development on track. Join our 35,000 members and become part of the only chartered membership body for the project profession. Open up your future at apm.org.uk. Are there two or three practical takeaways that you could give to listeners uh, that, that you gleaned from your research? Any, anything that you'd like people to really think about after listening to this? One of the ideas of my research or something that I found was the ways to co-create value in the long term. So I found out eight ways to, to do this co-creation, but l let me talk about three specific. Uh, the first one is, for example, co-learning. Learning is an important aspect uh, uh, that, we need to, that we need to do. And there are two types of knowledge, explicit knowledge, uh, something that is very tangible that we can get, for example, from papers, from the magazine, from books, something that you can read on. But also there is something about the implicit knowledge that is more intangible. And this type of knowledge is like, for example, when you ride a bicycle, how, how do you learn to ride a bicycle? You need your father or your mother uh, to be teaching you to actually to get some scratches and, and to, to, be, to, be, to be with the ride and, and to know how it goes. And that is the same for project management. 
we might have a PhD, a master's or certifications, but that doesn't mean we actually know exactly how to lead a project. And we need the expertise of the people who have been in industry. So I think we need to marry, uh, you know, the academic expertise with the empirical expertise. And I think very important myself as a young professional uh, to have this mentorship from, you know, from wiser generations uh, to really pass the knowledge because there is a lot of knowledge that is not written and we need to be on the practice to see how we are grouping together the people, how we are doing the management of the stakeholders. And I think co-learning and opening with this with different stakeholders in the ecosystem is very important to produce valuable outcomes in the in the long term. So that is the first kind of takeaway from my uh, PhD research. The second takeaway is something that I call co-design. And let me give you some example around this. So everybody, I think, when we were children, we were playing with the Lego, with the Lego toys. Um, Le 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 Lego is an amazing, um, you know, uh, way to illustrate how people can co-design. So at the moment, if you Google it, like Lego, uh, Lego ideas, you can go to this website and actually you can submit proposals uh, for a new product to be out in the market. And that is amazing because rather than having like a close innovation, just uh, people within Lego innovating the new products, they are opening these to all the children and all the people around the globe who want to get some uh, new ideas. Um, and we have seen this type of co-design not only in Lego, but also in project management. Uh, we have a, a major infrastructure project in London, which is the London Crossrail that actually it is the first mega project in the world to develop a strategy for innovation. And they were using something very similar. They were opening the innovation system to different stakeholders, not only internally within Crossrail, but also externally. And everybody was, you know, trying to produce ideas um, to innovate, uh, because at the end of the day, uh, innovation is at the heart of co-creation. So that's something we can use uh, in, in project management to open our systems to other stakeholders in the ecosystem to produce ideas and to, to be open that we inside we are not the owners of all the knowledge. And the third one is the co-problem solving. Co-problem solving, um, you know, like, I, I think this looks very easy, but in practice it's very difficult that one because I think we require emotional intelligence to actually to solve problems with other people. In, in, in industry, when we are working with people, there are many egos working against each other. So I think it's very complex because there might be some people who might get aggressive or who might get defensive about their ideas. And I think uh, to really solve problems in collaboration, we need a new level of emotional intelligence. And that's why project managers, we need to work a lot on the soft skills to actually uh, you know, be, be ready to co-create value. Uh, so these are the three key takeaways that I would like to, to offer to, to the public. That's so interesting. And really, you're talking about collaboration, open collaboration, which ties in, you were talking about co-creation uh, in projects and your thesis also talks about co-projects co-destructing the benefits they were meant to deliver, which was quite quite something to read about actually the idea that the project itself could could just 
disrupt the benefits it was meant to deliver. Can you tell us a bit about this, please? One of the things that I criticize sometimes in academia that some of the papers and some of the books, they don't reflect the reality of what is really happening in the real world of project management. Sometimes we see a lot of collaboration and positive tone, but in reality, we don't see this every day. Uh, and from, from my research, I found out four key aspects that people do to co-destroy value. The first aspect is when people have an unethical behavior. So for example, they might be uh, misleading communication or dishonest communication to the project board. So rather than really reporting how the project is looking, uh, you know, in, in the ground, they are not reporting the reality. So what it happens is that they are misleading all the project. And of course, the project board is doing fatal management decision or taking fatal management decisions and actions. And this is, uh, this is very bad because it really destroys the value in the long term. Because, uh, you know, later on the years, they might say, oh, we took the wrong decision. But they might have taken it because people were not ethical at the moment of reporting the results. Another aspect is the misalignment of values. So can you really work with people who are cheating? Like sometimes it, I found it's very difficult to, to work with these people. Sometimes we need to work with them, but sometimes there is clashes in the system of values of the people that really impede people to work in collaboration. So I have worked after my PhD in some mega projects and I have seen how people even within the same team, they don't talk to each other. And rather than helping each other, they are trying to see how they are uh, taking them out of the project. Um, and another key aspect of how people destroy value is how they use power. Power could be like a boring concept in, in, in paper, but in reality, it is one of the most amazing concepts. How, you, how people exercise the power, because in reality, we can see that project manager might have the power or might handle the power, but that doesn't really happen in reality. It might be that the technical manager has the power or the commercial manager, the sales manager, the political sphere. So there are clashes of this power that they end up, you know, having a personal fight and then forgetting about the benefits of the project. And some of these projects have been canceled in Latin America just because they don't like each other between different uh, political sphere or the technical sphere or the project itself. And we can see how these projects are, are being canceled. And the last one is what I call dark collaboration. As we have, and I remember when I was uh, talking about this on my dissertation, I, I was thinking about Star Wars. You know, in Star Wars, we have the Jedi's and we also have the Darth Vader. Well, in project management, we, all, we can have collaboration, but we can also have dark collaboration. And that has happened, uh, you know, for example, in Brazil. In Brazil, um, a few years ago, we used to have like the biggest scandal in, constru in construction of uh, corruption around uh, the Latin American market. So uh, there was one construction company uh, who was, well, there were a group of construction companies that they were grouping together and they were forming uh, agreements uh, during the bidding process. 
and they were actually being friends, they were actually within the same team, and they were fixing prices. And apart from fixing prices, they were taking turns in accepting the project. So uh, sometimes contractor A was winning a, a new project, sometimes contractor B was winning another project. So basically that was kind of like the, like the, the operating system or how, how they were operating in this cartel of, of corruption. And that didn't only happen in Brazil, that happened, uh, it was replicated across 10 different Latin American countries where they were paying bribes to politicians, to officials in exchange of contracts. So this kind of dark collaboration also happened and of course this is producing benefits, unintended benefits that they are not going to the society uh, per se, they are going to contractors who were doing uh, you know, unethical behavior and of course they were the the big winners of these contracts and we can see these type of practices you know not only in Latin America it might be more evident in Latin America but it has it's, it's happening around the globe so these four aspects of co-destruction are something that we really need to uh, to control thank you I mean with your international perspective particularly your knowledge and, and your expertise in microprojects in Latin America what what generally do you think differentiates projects uh, that are being delivered and operated in South and Central America from, say, mega projects in, in Europe or the US? So I arrived to the UK when I was uh, 25 and, and I stayed there for around 10 years. So my ideas of project management in the UK, uh, when, when I came back to Mexico, I thought it was the same. What I learned, for example, in Latin America, we don't have a culture of project management as we have in the UK or as, or as we have in the, in the European market. So I think the first difference that we have is that actually sometimes the, the project management office doesn't exist even in, in, Latin, in the Latin American market. The governance system is very ad hoc. Sometimes you can see project boards, sometimes you can see a clearly governance system, sometimes they are managing projects in a very traditional way. And it's very sad to say it, but sometimes even the role of the project manager doesn't exist in construction projects in Latin America. So I think we still need to learn and these certifications like APM is, uh, is helping a lot, uh, you know, professionals here in Latin America to actually absorb some ideas. There's room for growth. <laughs> yes, well, there, is, there is a lot of a lot of to learn. For example, uh, let, let me give you one example of how we can learn from the European market. So, as we know in London, we have the London Olympics in 2012. And it has, as every project, it has uh, good aspects and not so good aspects. But <clears throat> um, the good aspects were transferred into the Peruvian Pan American Games uh, in 2019. And they were, it was the first time in Latin America we were using temporary client organizations as the one that they built in the UK, for example, with the Olympic Delivery Authority. It was the first time we were using this kind of uh, forms of organizing. We were also using the new engineering contracts, the famous NEC contracts that they are using in the UK for complex projects. Um, we were also using the integrated project teams. So this knowledge exchange that we have between different markets it's very important to actually advance the practices of project management 
uh, that we have in Latin America. Because to be honest, across Latin America, we still um, are very rooted on on the things that I was mentioning at the beginning, on time and cost and quality. And I think we really need to look beyond. We, we have started to do the social assessment um, and mitigation impact, the cultural assessment, the environmental assessment, but still I think they need to be more rigorous as we can see um, in Europe. Uh, some of the public consultations uh, we could see with Hydro Terminal 5, uh, it was years of consultations. Some of the projects here in Mexico, uh, the public consultation, it takes days, it takes weeks. And this is kind of a big difference to what we have, uh, you know, as compared as compared to, to Europe. And, and another big challenge or that we are facing here in Latin America is, is really the, uh, the planning stage or the construction of the master plan. Uh, let me give you one example. Here in Mexico, we have one, we have one of the largest mega projects at the moment. We are building, uh, the Mexican government is building a railway system of 1,500 kilometers. Uh, it's, it's quite large, the system uh, of the rail that they are building, uh, but, but within two years, the, um, the master plan uh, has received uh, seven major changes, uh, you know, like stations have been changed, the routes have been changed. Um, like, actually, there is one part that they, they moved 20,000 trees, and later on they changed the route, and they came back and said, oh, I'm not using anymore that route. So, okay, I'm going to relocate the, all these 20,000 trees to another part. But how come you are doing this? I mean, it really shows the poor planning that we have in Latin America. Do, do, do you need to have a lot of patience or uh, calmness to be a project professional when you're working in projects like these, I guess? I think you need to have a lot of patience. But as, as I was mentioning, it also depends about the system that we are working in. Because sometimes we cannot do a proper planning stage because if you don't construct the mega project within the six years of the presidential term or probably probably your mega project will be cancelled. So things they have to be done in a very fast way. So that's that's something good as, as uh, what I have seen from the Mexican market. Uh, you know, the time to launch or the time to market is very quick. The mobilization of their resources is amazing. Even though there is a lack of technology, there is a lack of resources, everything has, has to be grouped together in less than one year or in less than two years uh, to start this mega project. Otherwise, you know, this is not going to be, uh, you know, within the, the limit of the six years. So you have to have patience, but I think you have to work within the limits that they are given by the government here in Mexico, but it's not the only country that uh, that are suffering. In, in Latin America, most of these governments are suffering the same. For example, in, in, in Peru, a very similar system of, of development of infrastructure that we have in, in Mexico, but they have changed president like four times in the, in the past five years. So imagine the program of infrastructure, how it has changed like radically between one year to another. So we cannot go into the long-term thinking or to complete the projects. That's why Latin America is one of the places around the globe where many mega projects are canceled. 
And it's not because we don't have capable project managers or capable technical. I think we have lovely people, amazing people, very intelligent, but this lack of application of project management uh, is really uh, not helping us uh, to produce the mega projects that we want here. Thank you so much for your uh, a real insight into Mexico and in Latin America and the state of the kind of project management um, profession there. Lo lots of opportunities, it sounds. So thank you so much for your time. Congratulations again for your win on your, your, on your thesis. So th thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Emma, and thank you to everyone who is listening. Thanks again to Marcos for joining us and to you for listening to this episode of the APM podcast. Don't forget to look out for more episodes in this series or to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and more. We'd welcome you to get in touch with your comments, feedback and suggestions by emailing us at apmpodcast at thinkpublishing.co.uk. This podcast has been brought to you by APM, the chartered body for the project profession. For more information on APM, visit apm.org.uk. Thank you.